of your sons and daughters in various schools, maybe in a different uh, country or a different city. So th there is a purpose behind, and this takes careful planning. It cannot be haphazard, because then there are losses accumulating, and it becomes very, very inefficient. But the problem is how to do it most efficiently, hoarding. Now, then uh, the problem arises, okay, what will you hoard? Now, just as Menger explains in the uh, origin of money, that people realize that when they, in the barter, in the process of barter, they get some other thing which they never need, which they don't need now, and they may never ever need. But that particular substance is very, very suitable to make further exchanges with. Then you can reduce your losses to an absolute minimum. And uh, the secret is, of course, marginal utility. And uh, the best uh, commodity which does that for you is gold. The second best is silver. It could have been that if you go further back in history, it was the other way around. We don't know, but it's not important. Right now, it's certainly gold. And uh, it's, you prove this by looking at the stocks to flows ratio. So the same way, exactly the same way, the question is answered. When you do hoarding and this hoarding, what is the commodity which answers your needs in an optimal way? And uh, what this means mathematically is that you keep adding smaller and smaller and ask what happens to the spread. And the surprising thing is that you might say, oh, the spread is going too narrow. But that's not true, because when you start adding smaller and smaller amounts to your store, or the other way around, you dishoard and want to get rid of sell very small amounts, then your market it gets more and more limited. And there's another problem, a technological problem, that when you measure uh, quantities which are really small and uh, uh, you have to go to the uh, the uh, drugstore because they have these fine scales ordinary grocery stores would never bother to have such a refined instrument but a drugstore would, pharmacy. Then you can see that it, it's getting more and more expensive to isolate 
uh, accurately a certain small quantity. So I'm not going to uh, harp on this too much. I just disclose the facts and you can think about it if you find this not satisfactory to your own thinking that as the quantity gets smaller and smaller, the spread gets larger and larger. So the marketability is still deteriorating. Whether you go to the large or you go to the small, marketability in the large gives you the answer how money came into use. Marketability in the small gives you the answer how people saved their substance uh, with the smallest possible losses. Where does interest come in? Well, the interest comes in because this is, a, let's say, a primitive method of saving when you're bored. So in this sense, I might even agree with the mainstream economists <coughs> who say that this is atavistic. This, uh, but, but, when you bring in the exchange mechanism, you improve on hoarding. So that's granted. And what does that mean? It means that an old man in his harvest years already has saved enough and he's drawing down the hoard of whatever he has, let's say gold, and if he meets a young man who is starting out in life, he is working for wages, but he would like to be uh, an independent entrepreneur, businessman working for himself and hiring other people. He thinks that he has the talent for that. And therefore, he has the opposite problem. He is saving for, to get sufficient capital to go into business for himself. Then, the two men meet, the old man who dishoards and the young man who hoards. And rather than waiting, the young man would have to wait probably as much as 15 years before he has accumulated enough capital that he could start his own business, he would say to the old man, hey, uh, I can pay you pension, but give me the wealth which you are disclosing, which would serve as capital. So the two men, the old and the young, will form a partnership, and they exchange income and wealth. And this is going to be an improvement over hoarding. That's very, very true, you see. And then the efficiency of this exchange, exchanging income and wealth, will show up in the rate of interest. 
ground jumping uh, hundreds and hundreds of years because this didn't happen overnight. It wasn't an invention like inventing uh, penicillin or something. This was uh, rather like Menger's evolutionary uh, development of money. It took, took a long time. We don't know how long, but it certainly took several hundred years, if not thousands of years. The point is that interest is the measure of the efficiency of exchanging income and wealth as opposed to hoarding and dishoarding. They both serve the same purposes. And exchange serves the purpose better. But if the government outlaws exchange or limits exchange of wealth and income for any reason, then the point may be reached that the hoarding and this hoarding will be revived because, and that's the point, uh, please uh, uh, read my lips <laughs> uh, and, and ask questions after the uh, coffee break, that if the government intervenes with the exchange, then the two parties, the old man and the young man, are not going to be in the same situation because their bargaining position is not symmetric. The young man will have to go fall back on, on hoarding, which took could take a long time instead of uh, having access immediately to the capital and start the business. But the old man could say, well, I'm not going to make the exchange because I have this hoard of pile of gold and I'm going to pay myself a pension, so to speak, by getting pieces, bits and pieces of gold and just sell as much as I need to keep body and soul together. You see? Hoarding and dishoarding uh, is a given to him which makes his bargaining position much stronger than the bargaining position of the young man who when he falls back on hoarding and dishoarding, would lose the best years of his life, maybe 15 years, <coughs> where he could use his own talents in a much better way because he's in business for himself. But no, he has to go back to work for wages uh, and sometimes very dull work and so on because he has to add to his hoard. So the bargaining position of the old man and the young man are not symmetric. And this is a big, big disadvantage. And this is why government intervention in the saving uh, process of individuals is a very bad thing. Because 
if left alone, these parties would form the best possible partnerships. Most efficient exchange of wealth and income. And the government steps in, starts meddling with interest rates and so on, this thing falls apart, and people will have to fall back on hoarding and disordering, which could be, there are two problems with it. One is it's, it's far less efficient. But secondly, the uh, symmetry in the bargaining <coughs> position is destroyed. So this is your very powerful argument against government meddling with interest rates. So uh, I hope I could give you some idea of how hoarding gold especially, but other things as well, if need be, because the government could confiscate gold, but then of course silver comes. And if government can confiscate silver as well, then something else will be the best uh, alternative. So there is no way, really, the government can stamp out this, because it's in human nature. We are mortal, and we know it. In the ancient Greek epic stories, there were gods who had eternal life, and there were human beings who were mortal. And of course, the uh, the economics of the gods was very different from the economics <laughs> of the mortals because the gods lived forever. So they didn't have the problems arising the same way as the mortals. So there it is. This is, this is the human condition. We are all mortal. We are going to die. And we have to plan for a, a transition. First of all, if we have children and the survivors, we want to provide for them. And then if we are very healthy and want to live a long life, that's a different type of planning than if you have various diseases and you have to spend so much on medicine and so on. And uh, this is... Uh, uh, chapter in economics which is almost completely missing. Why? Because they dismiss hoarding as atavistic, as primitive, as uh, and this is not true because there is a time, a possible time, when the needs for direct hoarding and dishoarding comes up. And I go a little further than that. If you develop the theory of interest, you will realize that it doesn't have to be this extreme case when the government pushes uh, the interest rate down to zero, as it happens uh, happens in our days. You know, very stupid idea. You know, but, but the adjustment of the interest when it's at a normal level. There could be a deviation to the high side or to the low side. 
how does this equilibrium arise? Well, gold is the regulator of the interest, not just in the extreme case when uh, the government pushes interest to zero, but also whatever level the interest rate is, <clears throat> uh, if uh, interest deviate, deviates from the, let's say, equilibrium level, then if it's on the high side, then people will reduce their gold hoarding. And that means there's more money, there is pressure on the interest, it goes back to the equilibrium. On the other hand, if the deviation is on the low side, then people who are dissatisfied with this low interest, they say, it doesn't pay, it doesn't cover my risk of buying the bond, we'll sell the bond and put the money, uh, the proceeds into gold. And that has the opposite effect. So this arbitrage, using the technical arbitrage between the gold market and the bond market, this is just a simplification, but it catch, captures the idea very well. This arbitrage between the gold market and the bond market will come up with the right rate of interest, which is the most advantageous to all society. Doesn't overpay and doesn't underpay, but it is just the right thing. So uh, this is what you can say about in an hour, which uh, I'm coming very close to my limit, another five minutes, so I keep talking, but I have basically uh, described the uh, uh, process surprising connection between gold, hoarding, uh, interest, and financial uh, uh, processes, especially the problem of pensions. So let me just say a few words about the, to my mind, possibly the biggest problem which this financial crisis we have uh, today uh, presents. It's, it's a very, very great problem and uh, especially in view of the fact that the demographic picture has shifted a great deal. I mean, a hundred years ago there were more young people than old if you look at the balance. Today it's just the opposite and there are several factors working in this direction. Number one is that old people live longer. That's because of uh, therapeutic advances, advances in medicine, new uh, medication and uh, therapies and so on. 
act together to extend human lives, much more than it was the case a hundred years. But then there is the other, that the live births are relatively discrete, uh, decreasing, thanks to uh, birth control techniques and, uh, and uh, just uh, I don't have to explain that, so let me cut this off. You, you all understand what I'm talking about, that the fewer young people enter the labor force, and then those who leave the labor force, when they get older, live much longer. And they have to be supported, they have to be fed, clad, shod, and other uh, amenities. Certainly a lot of energy is consumed to support uh, the elderly. If they died the younger, then there would be a saving which would benefit the rest of them. So you see, the pension problem is looming larger and larger because of these demographic, demographic factors. It is true that uh, the efficiency of production, food production and other production is increasing, so there is something to back it up. But it's a delicate balance, and we cannot be, certainly cannot be too confident about it. The technology will always keep adding these extra goods to support the longer life, the longevity of the elderly people, and the ever-diminishing supply of young workers who enter the labor force, whose production will, so much of their production will go to support the elderly. So the, this is a problem. Now, what the government does is exactly the wrong thing. What they do is they took a reasonable pension uh, industry or insurance industry uh, with the funded plans and they made almost daily adjustment these actuaries who, whose business it is to calculate how much reserves the insurance companies and pension funds should have in order to support this aging population in an optimal way uh, taking everything into account, and they take such relatively small changes into account that an epidemic breaks out somewhere, whether in Asia, Africa, or Europe, doesn't matter, but it has an effect, and it has to be immediately adjusted, the actuarial calculations, more saving. Or if something, uh, for example, cure for cancer, is invented somehow, miraculously. That would mean that longevity increases, so again, uh, greater reserves are called for. So there are all these possibilities, and there was a relatively good solution for that. The private 
insurance uh, business and uh, pension fund system and so on could take care of that without any government intervention. And the government comes, no, we have to have social security. It's unjust that a uh, wealthy man can purchase uh, something like transplant heart or kidney or what have you, and the poor guy cannot afford that which is so stupid because they, uh, it is exactly the expenditure of the wealthy guy which made possible that these advances in uh, medicine could, could have. I mean, uh, universal social security and Medicare and uh, all that would have never uh, made those advances in therapy therapeutics and uh, medicine possible. And the government comes in and says, funded pension, stupid. We're just going to pay as you go. So the young person who enters the labor force immediately, his pension contributions are spent on supporting the old guy. This is just so stupid that to abolish funding because it works on a pay-as-you-go basis. Because, I mean, the past, what, 60, 70 years prove that longevity expanded and the young entering the labor force was shrinking. So there is a deficit. And since you had no funding, as pay as you go, you end up with something like Roosevelt brought in in 1935, the uh, Social Security. And at that time, if I remember correctly, 72 workers, young workers, supported the one retired Guy. And now the same is that uh, something like three young persons entering the labor force uh, only, as opposed to 70-something, support the one. And that ratio is still shrinking. Now when it will come to one-to-one, -to -one, forget it. The young people will not contribute. They, they are not foolish. They are, uh, you know, however bad is the educational system, they uh, can add and subtract, and they will realize that this is an unjust system. They cannot be billed for every retired person. So the present crisis, pension crisis, I would say is extremely serious. It's extremely, and practically no, nobody realizes just how serious it is. They say, well, the government fixed up this uh, social security problem before they increased the contribution, half a percent or what have you, and then it's, uh, we are ready to go for another half century before another adjustment. That's not the case. It's like building up an uh, explosive, explosive situation and if the threshold is reached, there will be a, a, an explosion and the whole thing will just 
collapse. So I, I um, uh, would like to call your attention to the very serious problem we are facing, the pension problem. The, there are many other problems with it, such as the, uh, uh, the uh, depreciation, monetary depreciation that you save in good money and you get paid your pension in bad money. I mean, how far will this work? Presently, people don't complain. But obviously, this is getting worse and there will be the time. So, I have come to the end of the hour, a little bit over time, but uh, after the uh, coffee break, I'll welcome your questions and comments and criticism. Thank you very much. <laughs>